Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I'm free to do whatever I, whatever I choose, and I'll sing the blues if I want. Uh, hello everyone, welcome to part two of our bonus clash, where Shal and I uh, are going through famous divorce albums. Last week we went through Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks, so this week Shal is going to lead us through Fleetwood Mac's Rumours from 1977. So yeah, without further ado, let's just get straight into it. So Shal, please start taking us through... Rumours by Fleetwood Mac. Okay, so I think I think really this is the most famous divorce album of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just is. So Rumours was five brilliant musicians and songwriters at the top of the game who happened to be going through, you know, a divorce in one couple, break up in another couple, you know, affairs, and then, you know, the divorce of, of Fleetwood as well, even though his was outside the band. But mm-hmm. all five of them were going through absolute hell. And they were doing a lot of coke. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm glad you... Because that's the one thing I was going to bring up, was coke. Yeah, there was a lot of coke. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think you've got this... You're all coke-addled. Yes. You're going through breakups. What shall we do to get over this? Let's, Let's write an album. Spend three months for <laughs> While we hate each other. And, and the best bit is, whilst at the end of this, we're going to get on the cover of Rolling Stone, all in a bed together for several hours, whilst trying to, you know, not kill each other. Great. But I think the best thing about this album is, you know, with, with Dylan, you get one guy in his pain. But with this album, you get five people, three of whom are writing. It's like group therapy. <laughs> That's one way of looking yeah, at it. You've, you've got, like, Buckingham screaming at Nick's, Nick's screaming back at Buckingham, and, you know, it's it's brilliant. And then think he's shagging the light, light guy. So it's just it Christine is, McVie yeah she's she's she was know. having an affair with all the lighting engineers yeah she was and she, was, she, and yeah. she sold, sung a couple of the songs to him so I mean it is it's just group therapy it's kind of funny because what a mess and they yeah they were absolutely out on the trees and they were singing at four o'clock in the morning doing recording sessions through the night raw and painful but also and like you said lots, the top of, the game. lots of coke yeah but and, but at the top of the game and the, exactly the end result is one of the most beloved albums of all time absolutely which sold 40 million copies yeah it was their 11th album let's not forget that i mean a lot of that had obviously been the peter green stuff but Lindsay and Buckingham, um, Lindsay Buckingham and, and Stevie Nicks, when they joined the uh, the band, brought a whole different songwriting dynamic to yes. it, and I think it culminated in this album. But I I do think the genius of it it was that everybody was broken and the pain comes out, and they were trying so desperately hard to do the professional thing whilst falling apart, you know, personally. Mm-hmm. It was a huge commercial success. You, you can't get away from just how successful this is. It, it is like 40 million copies, 10 million copies in a month. It was album of the year in 77. It's so successful. Why? I think because it's accessible. It's it's pop. It's quite upbeat, actually, bizarrely. But at the heart of it is this, this fury, this loss, this bitterness. The same things that we've just been discussing but wrapped up in a kind of pop bubble that 
made it very good on radio. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that I don't know, I'm being trite, but actually I think that's why it is so beloved. You know, these themes that we're talking about, loss and bitterness and relationships and divorce, this resonates with everybody. But they're really good songs and they're really catchy and you can sing along to them. And I, yeah, I, th- I think that's different to Bob Dylan because no one can sing Bob Dylan but Bob Dylan. But this you can sing along to. Everyone can sing Dreams, even the cause. So it's, Oh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. We will. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, these songs sing, sing to everybody. So due to popular demand, <laughs> even though I disagree with this vehemently. The editor's instruction. The editor's instruction. So I wanted to include Silver Strings in this. It was almost meant to go on. But and it was not on the original no, release. No, and it was only but it was only cut because in ninety seven seven you could only record so much on vinyl. Yeah. So they they reissued and I will talk about this a little bit later on. But but also because Stevie was really upset about it. Oh, I well. mean she was cut up for many, many years and I mean there's an, I just there's, want to put it back. There's up. another of her songs that makes its way onto the album which I would happily get rid of. But we'll come on to that in a minute. Okay, right. Well I really like Soulspend anyway, but I will talk about it a bit at the end then. Right, okay, so before we start going through the tracks, just the usual facts about the album. So, it was released on the 4th of February 1977. It was recorded between February and August 76 at several studios, Criteria Studios in Miami, Record Plant in uh, Sausalito in California, and others, let's just say that. It was released on Warner Brothers. It was produced by Fleetwood Mac themselves, along with Ken Callat and uh, Richard Dashut. Uh, so, Shell, when did you first hear Rumours? So, I think I heard a couple of the songs, I mean, a very long time ago. Obviously, the chain has been going around British television for some time. Yeah. And the cause, much maligned. But um, they've been around Rightly. since 1990-whatever. So I'd heard a couple of um, singles and I liked Stevie Nicks' voice. So I, I started to dig a little bit deeper, probably three, five years ago, something like that. And mm-hmm. I think they sold it in Asda and I bought a copy on vinyl and I loved it. And there were some songs on there I'd never heard before. I'll talk about those later. But yeah, they were brilliant and, I, and it really resonated with me. And actually I heard Lindsay Buckingham's stuff for the first time and, and was, yeah, pleasantly surprised, I think. So... It's quite similar for me. I, like you, a, a few of the songs on the album, the most famous ones, obviously, I've been familiar with for a very, very long time. But And I don't know exactly when it was that I first heard the album, but it was something I went to, something I, let's say, acquired <laughs> sometime in the mid to late 2000s and listened to it then, having thought, this is one of the best-selling albums of all time. It's widely regarded as a classic. I need to listen to the whole thing. So, yeah, something that very much I made the effort to go and seek out rather than having you know discovered it or having had it throughout my childhood, uh, which was the case with Blood on the Tracks last week. So, yeah, quite similar to you, I think. Okay. Uh, shall we talk about the album cover? Okay. So it's an image of... you got Mick Fleetwood dressed up in his sort of waistcoat and his shirt and then you've got Stevie Nicks in, in her Rhiannon costume yeah, I think yeah. it's fair to say it's a very famous image obviously the album sold 40 million copies I can't for the life of me think what on earth it has to do with the album title nope 
it, it's a really strange image. Obviously, the guy that did it, and I've forgotten his name. You can probably look it up. But he, he even bought his own footstool, apparently. He had a very conceptual idea and had totally knew what he was going to do. Um, but it, it, I just find it really strange. Got to be honest, don't understand it. Doesn't make sense to me. Not with Mick Fleetwood being there. If it was Lindsay Buckingham no. and Stevie Nicks, you'd go, okay. Yeah, but even then, I wouldn't have chosen that image. Uh, I, for me, this this is the most complete album. For, you know, they've all got a writing credit on one of the songs. I'd have had them all up there. I mean, the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones cover that I mentioned before, where they're all in bed with each other and stuff. That that would have made more sense. It's a beautiful image. It's a very stark image because it's black and white, obviously. And Stevie was a beautiful woman in a day and she was all kind of rannoned up with her white witchness and all the rest of it. And We'll get to that, don't worry. You know, it's, it is what it is. It, it's, it's very startling. You will not forget it. And so in that, I guess it's successful. It just doesn't necessarily make sense. So what's the best album cover of the two? Because I think Blood on the Tracks is, is better. It's a more... It's a more striking image, I think. I think they're both striking images, actually, bizarrely, because, as I say, once you've seen that cover, you'd say, yes, you'll never forget it. And you would say the same thing about Dylan's. Mm. As a piece of art, I prefer the Dylan one. As an image, I think the Fleetwood Mac one's probably more striking. I think it's that black and white juxtaposition thing. It's such a... They're both holding such natural poses, so I think it strikes the, the memory more. Which one do I prefer? Probably the Bob Dylan. Okay, Dylan wins. <laughs> it's all about the winning, isn't it, love? <laughs> it's called Album Clash. All so yes. about the winning. <laughs> uh, right, start taking us through the songs. Go on. Okie doke. So, second-hand news obviously starts us off. This is Buckingham, and you can always tell with Buckingham because it's usually less than three minutes, whereas it <laughs> goes on for about ten. We'll get there. So, it's it's a beat, it's pop, it's short. But despite the beatness, the lyrics are actually really bloody angry. I mean, and Fleetwood's drums are on um, on the chorus are, are brilliant, actually. This is Fleetwood Mac. Um, Mick, sorry, Mick Fleetwood's Fleetwood drums. Be- uh, I, 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 there's a later song that I really, really want to get into Mick Fleetwood's drumming, but I agree. I think his drumming on this is really, really good it's too. Been, yeah, yeah. I mean, he goes on about being dyslexic and all the rest of it, but... I, I love the drums on this anyway. I think he's great in the in the chorus. I think it's his best work. But um, it's short, it's poppy, it's upbeat, really angry lyrics. You you always don't take away quite the lyrics until you sort of step back and you go, you second-hand news and stuff, and you go, oh, okay, because actually it's really upbeat. Yeah. But it's a, it's a great mix, you know, sort of musically. It's a great mix of the guitars, a bit of piano. They sort of culminate in this exuberance, actually. It is, it's a very Good fun word. record, bizarrely. Especially with these kind of vocals that he does in the background, he almost becomes a sort of bass for himself with this sort of scat-like thing that he does. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great introduction to the album. So I'm glad you said about it being upbeat, but still being a really vitriolic song. So just one of the verses I want to I want to read. One thing I think you should know: I ain't gonna miss you when you go. Been down so long, been tossed around enough. Couldn't you just let me go and do my stuff? I mean. Yeah, and it's it sounds poppy, it sounds upbeat, but it's re- much like Idiot Wind. It's really spiteful. Mm. It's about well, she's just buggered off and left him. Well, exactly. Well, the first line I know there's nothing to say. Someone has taken my place. I'm just secondhand news. It's it's about you know being scorned, and it's got all the spite of as many of the songs in the album do of, of lots of the tracks on Blood on the Tracks, but the way it's performed. It's a pop song, like you said. Yeah. Um, 
You talked about the scats in the chorus. <laughs> they were sampled by Kid Rock. <laughs> well. On his song, Wasting Time, on his seminal 1998 album, Devil Without a Cause. Bless him. <laughs> didn't, didn't he marry Pamela Anderson? He did marry Pamela Anderson, that, That's yes. pretty much my sum total of knowledge about Kid Rock. Hmm. Yeah, I like secondhand news. It's short, it's poppy. Uh, yeah, it's a good song. Right, we're going to go into dreams. And yes, we're going to mention the cause, obviously, <sighs> because I, I like this song so much. I even like the cause version. I can't help myself. Um, Fuck off. Yeah, I know. I can't help it. Sorry, I was a night school. But <laughs> this is this is weird, actually, because I'm, I'm a big fan of Stevie Nicks' voice. But what? <laughs> I mean, even... You're going to say you think the cause version's better? No, I'm not. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> No, it's not that bad, Jesus. But no, what I was going to say, it's, it's really strange because even while Nix and Buckingham are breaking up, it took Buckingham to take one of Stevie's songs and make it better. Apparently, um, Christine McVie was just like, yeah, it's really boring. And he took it and he added the guitars. He sort of made each section sound different with this sort of thread going through it. And he just made it better. So <laughs> even though those two are literally can't talk to each other, he took her song and just made it into probably one of the, you know, the biggest, it was the biggest selling single off the album. Um, it was number one in the US. It was the only number one in the US. And, and I think that's just bizarre, really, because these, these two hated each other. They were literally screaming each other across the stage. But professionally, they just worked. It's, it's a beautiful song. It's lovely to sing. And she approaches the breakup in a slightly different way, you know. He's really bitter, but she's perhaps more, not positive, but she's just looking to the future more and a little bit more holistic about the whole thing. I mean, again, she was the one that walked away. They've been together, remember, since Buckingham was 16. She was she very was, young, wasn't no, she? No, he was 16. Oh, she okay. was 17, 18. So there's, there wasn't much between them both, but she was the one doing the walking away. So perhaps that's reflected in, in Buckingham's bitterness and her slightly more reflective view but it's a beautiful song i fucking hate this song okay that is possibly because of the cause version it's a little harsh no the cause version's dreadful the cause were dreadful i i I can't i cannot fathom the success of the cause the 90s was a weird decade they only had like two songs Uh, anyway we're not talking about the cause but i don't like this song anyway it so my god if this is the version that Lindsay Buckingham made more interesting and trimmed it down and made it shorter, Christ, can you imagine the original rambling? So, uh, uh, full disclosure, a, a, a brilliant singer. I do not like Stevie Nicks in that, like you said, the White Witch. It's so fucking wistful, this. <laughs> Just piss it's, off. It's supposed to be. But Christ almighty, just no. Stop. Enough. It's a minute too long. It's not even that long a song. Christ, there was a nine minute song on Blood on the Tracks that we both thought was one of the best songs on there. You said it was the best song on there. I like but, long songs. But yeah, I, but I love I'm long okay songs. I'm okay with a little bit of rambling. If I I'm love honest. long songs. But this doesn't do anything. It doesn't go, it doesn't have anything to say to me. I think that's what Christine McVie said. Yeah. I like Christine McVie. We'll come on to that later on. It doesn't interest me in the slightest, this. The arrangement doesn't interest me at all. Nothing happens in this song. I can just picture Mick Fleetwood sat there going, 
What, seriously? Just... Fucking hell. It's not about Mick Fleetwood. It's about... It's literally his band is named in the... (laughs) Yeah, but it's not about him. It's about her. And she's just putting it out there. It's lovely. Okay, fine. I wonder what my worst song could have been. Yeah. (laughs) Don't like it, but I know it's a classic and everyone else loves it. So I know I'm in the minority. No, I think... I mean, the thing is, as as a female singer, I'm like... I love this song because it's so There's far better sing. songs for female singers on this album. Oh, it's a lovely song to sing. It just is. It's so wistful. I know you hate wistful, but... I don't hate wistful. I like wistful. I, I like the witch, white witch persona. I love Rhiannon. And, and that, to me, always speaks to me. And, and countless other women, probably, and teenage girls everywhere. We just love that stuff. But, yeah. Okay. I mean, but, but to be clear, the cause can fuck all the way off. They had their moment, bless no, them. they didn't. They did. Move there was two, two singles. It's all good. Anywho, it's better than Bewitched. Anyway. They objectively weren't better than Bewitched, by the way. <laughs> right, let's go on anyway. So, Never Going Back Again. Um, again, Buckingham. He wrote this after starting a new relationship. And, I, and again, you know, in the way that Dreams is dealing with that moving onness, he was singing in this one about moving on <laughs> i love the fact he had to apparently restring his guitar every 20 minutes so um i'm not surprised um for the optimal sound but um the next day he kind of came to overdub the vocal he realized it was in the wrong key <laughs> and apparently they had to do it again so <laughs> i i really feel for That's this brilliant this poor i don't know restringer of guitar probably age 15 somewhere like restringing this guitar every 20 minutes um it's a, it's a great song actually it's really simple to be clear I'm never trusting a 15 year old to restring my guitar okay, well, I know what I was like stringing guitars at 15 okay fine I don't know 40 <laughs> odd whatever but it's um it's a really simple strong uh, song it's it's a quite straightforward lyrically uh, and melody wise it's re- you know it's it's not complex but it's it, I think it suits Buckingham's voice definitely because um, he's he's got a really good voice in this and, mm-hmm. I, and I just think yeah he's when you look at his key and his register, it just really suits his voice. Yeah. And it, I think it's a really positive song for him, bizarrely. Yeah. I really like this. It's perfectly tailored for his voice, the sound of it. I love that finger-picked guitar part, which is overdubbed. Yeah, definitely. It's phenomenal. It's everything to this song. It's glorious. It doesn't need anything else. Nope. His voice and that guitar... This is how you have a wistful yet melancholic sound in a song. Uh, this is great. I think this is everything that Dreams wants to be, and it does it all in two minutes. I think I think it's the the answer. It's two different people dealing stylistically, musically, personally with the same issue in two very different ways. They're very different musicians, and they and they both have their place. And I, I love them both. I wouldn't want to be in a room with them both, gotta be honest. But you know, these two these two are the answer to each other. It's it's beautiful. It is beautiful. I agree. Should we move on? Yeah. So the next one's Don't Stop, and this is Christine McVee. So I think Quite I, famous. I was gonna say, I think you should go for this because you obviously got a bit of a thing, you know, going on here. Well no, it's not this isn't the one I want to talk about actually. Oh, okay. There are the, the later songs of hers that I that I prefer to talk about. I do really like Don't Stop. I think it's another one that speaks to what you were just saying about dealing with a breakup, but looking at looking to the future rather than 
bemoaning and lamenting the past. She's positive. That's what I take away from this. It's the whole yesterday's gone thing. She's a positive person. You know, that comes across. She's not bitter. She's just like, yep, yesterday's gone. Come on, move on, people. And I think, you know, that classical training that she brought to the band, she's the only one with classical training. And you hear that later on. You can even hear it in this. I think she's she's very tight musically. Very. Yeah, no, she's she's great. I like the decision to have them singing it as a duet. Mm. Although, interestingly, it's, it, the obvious choice would be to have Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham singing it as a duet because they were the, the couple. Yeah, I think there would have been natural stopping. But as you said, it's a you know the verse that that she sings. Why not think about times to come and not about the things you've done? If your life was bad to you, just think what tomorrow will do. It's it's not without its bite that no, lyric, no. But it's still more hopeful. Yes, I think that's a good word. Actually, she's more hopeful. I really like this, but no, this is not the Christine McVie no, song. No, I, I know to talk we're probably going to both like that one. But anywho. <laughs> So the next one's Go Your Own Way. Yeah. I, I love this, I have to admit. Can I talk about Mick Fleetwood's drumming? Oh, yeah, please do, because it's, it's pretty cool. It's incredible. It's brilliant. It's because it's, it's he's dyslexic, apparently. Well, yeah, so... Did you, did you read that thing about there was a guy that kind of came and said, how the hell do you do that? And he was like, ah, watch me. Well, and No one could work it out. So uh, apparently, Lindsay Buckingham and Richard Dashert were basically inspired by the drumming, Charlie Watts' drumming on Street Fighting Man. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted Mick Fleetwood to try and replicate that on this song. And Fleetwood couldn't get there. It, seemed, it basically sounded very disoriented, very, very unsettling. But actually, when they listened to it back on the track, it was like, that's fucking perfect. And so it sort of not necessarily came about by accident. Like you said, Mick Fleetwood credited that, if you like, to his dyslexia and the the, the, the way that he had interpreted that rhythm as a result. I think it's brilliant. That drumming in the sort of, is it the second part of the first verse, you'd say? Well, you know, the do, 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 do. It's fucking great. It's, it's kind of all over the place. And that's where I guess the dyslexia comes in because it doesn't follow a traditional pattern, but it, it's brilliant. It's the it's one of the closest things on this album to the Peter Green era Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, I was going to say I actually that was something I I think when I listen to this it's it's more Peter Greeny kind of, but then you've got that pop overtone that Buckingham brings, and I I honestly think that this album is probably so popular because of Buckingham. Mm-hmm. He overtly courted that commercial success and that pop success i mean it worked <laughs> but it did work no and actually i mean i know i know by the kind of the end of this everyone say you know booking was in control mode and it was all his way or the highway kind of thing but he absolutely steered this and go your own way is his song it's a, it was the first single um from the album and I think this this was dreams his... got to number one, and this yes. got, was it no. number four. This got yeah, to? something like that. I don't know, but Ridiculous. it was it was the first single off. And well, no, because other people really like Stevie Nicks's voice. Tim, just going to put it out there. But this is objectively a better song, as you it's... just sort of suggested yourself. No, I think this is a great song. So this was his therapy. I think he was angry, and it, so we talked about secondhand news, the lyrically being quite bitter, but sounding upbeat this sounds full of pissed off yeah he is and (laughs) the way he spits the lyrics out in you know it 
I like the way the verse starts. He's singing in in, in a yeah. lower key, mm-hmm. but then by the time of the chorus, he goes gone up, up and he's like half an octave. Out. You know, yeah. you can call it another lonely day, and it is exactly as you said. It's like oh, fuck off, then go on. I don't give a shit yeah. anymore. But it's it's also the source of kind of one of the most bitter rows, and it's really funny. I watched a video of Steve Nicks, who is what seventy two, and it was only a few years ago. And she was still talking about the lyric where the packing up, shacking up lyric comes in and it it has been around since 1977. You know, she's been demanding that he take that out. Um, she's, <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. The first thing she was like, I'm packing up, shacking up. And she was like, and that's not me at all. And, and I get that, to be fair. Um, so I call hypocrisy because you didn't like Idiot Wind because of its one-sided perspective on things. And Stevie Nicks is calling out the same sort of thing there. Yeah. Don't know. And yet you're still sort of, con- you know, because you like this song I'm more. won over by this song, not not anything else. It's Because it is poppy, like you said. It has yeah. got a very accessible oh, he's tone, very which accessible. You can, we can never be said about Bob Dylan, no, let's be honest. No, 40 million people bought this album plus. But I think the... Lyrical themes are still They're very there. similar. I mean, at the end of the day, a, we are looking at divorce albums. This is not going to be about rainbows, <laughs> so is it? it? Everyone's going to be pissed off with each other and tell each other fuck right off. But, I, no, I really like this. So, despite Buckingham screaming, you know, shack up and pack up and she's still creaming. You know, basically, Stevie was sort of saying, even in her 60s, she was seen saying it that every time she heard it, she wants to go over and kill him. And um, <laughs> yeah, she said she wanted to walk across the stage and kill him. And he knew it. And he made her suffer for leaving him. And it worked, basically, is what she basically has said. So for 40 years, these two have been sharing a stage yeah, yeah. opposite each other and screaming at each other. <laughs> it's kind of really sad. It because is really sad. You kind of think, these guys are really probably... They, they could have been amazing together or they could have just maybe moved on. Or well, just even think of the just, just, success that their raw emotion uh, collectively brought them. Yeah, but they, they were great together. I mean, Nix and Buckingham, they, they had a five-year or so career before yeah, they yeah, were yeah. back and they yeah. were great songwriters in their own right. Yeah, this, this song is, yes, okay, it's ritualic but it's not saying you're a fucking idiot and your door <laughs> never stops flagging from pretty much is what Dylan was saying so it doesn't feel that personal in that way I don't I don't know I just really like it it's a good song it is a good song should we move on yeah songbird so beautiful I talked about before about classical training and how Christine McVie is the only person with classical training even though Lindsay Buckham's a cracky musician but you can hear it <laughs> if, if in nothing else you can hear it in this song and they decided it needed a concert style. There was um, Ken Kaliat, who was their director. Co-producer. Co-producer, sorry, thank you. He, he said to set the mood, he ordered a bunch of flowers. He placed them on a piano, put three spotlights, sort of shining down, illuminating the flowers from above. He dimmed the lights in the house. Fifteen microphones. Fifteen microphones around the place to, to get the, the classical piano. And he just ushered Christine in and she played. And she is a classical musician. You can hear it a mile off in the song. 
She's got a great voice. She was, yep. I mean, she's got a great, it's quite sexy, I think, Christina. She's got a really sexy, sultry mm-hmm. yep. kind of sound. And this stripped back style with the piano, I think really suits her. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful song. It's, it's Christina McVie's favourite song, to be fair. Apparently, she wrote it in half an hour. That was exactly, yeah. I mean, it just blows my mind. It's so, like half 12 at night. She yeah. just wrote a song. Just yeah. to, I want, I've got a quote from her on that. I've never been able to figure out how I did that. I woke up in the middle of the night and the song was there in my brain. Chords, lyrics, melody, everything. I played it in my bedroom and didn't have anything to tape it on. So I had to stay awake all night so I wouldn't forget it. And I came in the next morning to the studio and Ken Callaghan put it on a two track. Uh, that was in an interview with People magazine in 2017. Yeah, and and she still says that's her favourite track. It's, it's brilliant. Beautiful. It so. is beautiful. The piano is majestic. Yeah, she's her voice it. is it's sultry, but it's angelic at the same time. I think this is just magnificent. It is, and have you heard the Eva Cassidy version? I have not. Well, Eva Cassidy, obviously, she she died, but she um, she covered it on a posthumous album of, of the same name. She called her okay. album Songbird. And and again, it's beautiful, but I would say Eva Cassidy is quite similar. She has a wonderful, wonderful voice. It, it's a beautiful song. I, I don't know how the hell she wrote this at half 12 in the morning, but wow, it, it's stunning. It, it stands out for me in this album because... It's not a pop song, actually. Mm-hmm. No. You can hear that Buckingham had so much influence on everything else. And apparently, Christine McVie literally kind of kept away from Buckingham with yeah. this. And you can hear that. Because yeah, yeah. It's totally different. It it's not poppy. It's her. It's just gorgeous. I agree. So this is one of the songs that's written about and for the lighting engineer with whom she was having an affair. But didn't she say it was about a dog, though? Yeah, I mean, it's not, though, is it? And the yeah, songbirds no. keep singing like they know the score. And I love you, I love you, I love you like never before. You could like say that about before, a dog. Like never before. Yeah, but you could say that about a really nice dog. Yeah, it's not about a dog shell. No, it's not about a dog. <laughs> I, I think she, but I think there was a couple of songs. Actually, oh, maybe it was one of the ones later on. There is one. That, one of the latest songs she does admit was written about uh, about him. I think, anyway. I think I think the, the whole rest of the band knew that it was about the lighting guy. She just kept blaming it on the dog. Yeah. What, like, to the lighting guy done a shit in the corner and someone's shoes and she's blamed no, it on the dog? No, I don't, I don't think the dog did that, but, you know, she really loves the dog. So the chain, I mean, it doesn't sort of need much introduction, does it really? I mean, no. even before I knew Fleetwood Mac, I knew this song, I think it's racing on yeah, British fan, television. Fans of uh, Formula One motor racing. In the UK, in the 80s and 90s, we'll be very familiar with the outro to The Chain because it was used as the theme for that very programming by BBC. And that's the first time I heard this song, I'm not going to lie. I think I probably did sort of by osmosis. I didn't really take it in. And then it was was on Radio 6. Uh, There was a programme called The Chain and um, there was links to a different song and I, I remember that because it's Radcliffe and, Radcliffe and McConey yeah so it's it's got um it's got an incredible introduction and you don't need to play anything more than the first sort of bar or two of the song before you go yeah I know what this is 
it's got the most memorable openers ever. And it was, of course, featured on the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2, uh, which introduced <laughs> to it to a completely different audience. Absolutely. Including our kids who love this song. Uh, th- do you know what? They really do. I don't know what that is. But anyway, I love it. It was created from combinations of rejected materials by like all of the band members. Yes, indeed. And I love the fact that it was often manually. They spliced tapes with a razor blade. It's the only song where all five members are, are sort of credited with the songwriting credit because it's all of them. Yep. And, you know, their their 25-year sort of reunion tour was called The Chain, 25 years. It's, it's the most famous Fleetwood Mac song. Absolutely. It's amazing. It is amazing. I, so you've got that opening, well, you've got the opening um, kick drum, boom, 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 boom. Then you've got that acoustic guitar riff, which is played with an open tuning, a guitar that's tuned to D, open tuning. It's a great, great guitar part. You've got the electric, which comes in underneath that. And then the harmonic vocals from Lindsay Buckingham, Christine McVie and Stevie Nicks all of them singing together, all of them pouring all of their emotion, all of their anger, all of their frustration into the lyrics. They sound incredible together, the three of them. I, I, I actually can't understand why this is the only song on the album where all three are singing together. It's so full of anger. You know, Damn your love, damn your lies, damn the dark, damn the light. It's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. It's really good. <laughs> but do you, see what, do you know what I mean though about how they sound together yeah, as a Yeah, they threesome? do. The three of them all sort of screaming out. It's brilliant. And, and again, it's really fun to sing actually this mm-hmm. because most people can sing this. It's great. It's fun to sing. And I quite like the fact that the song, the album, and the band's most famous moment comes from John McVie, who we haven't spoken about until now. But that bass line... That bass sounds that great. In, ...that brings in the outro, it is great. It's iconic. Yeah, he does get overlooked, to be fair. But he, he's a good bassist. Very good. Okay, uh, shall we move on? Yep, so the next one is You Make Loving Fun. Again, this is Christine McVie. And again, written about the lighting director. Yeah. Uh, but again, she said it, she told John it was about the dog, <laughs> um, which which is a little bit worrying, if I'm honest, because a dog should not bring that much fun to any kind of relationship. <laughs> but it, no, exactly. Yeah, it, it was the fourth single, the final single off this album. It it, it is fun. And actually, it's it's quite nice because the rest, you know, you just go after the chain where everyone's screaming the heart out. And You Make Loving Fun is fun. It's lighter. It, and again, it's recorded away from Buckingham. Again, it's quite different to many other the tracks on the album. Christine McVie, she knew her style and she kept it away from Buckingham very mm-hmm. deliberately to get her point across, to get her sound across. And that comes across. So I think you can always tell a Christine V song in these this album because it is different. She she was a musician in her own right and and a lady which sort of knew her own mind, I guess, musically. And it is fun. It's okay. I don't love it. No, I, I don't think I do either. I think I think I'd prefer it when everyone's tearing the heart out. <laughs> 
one thing I would say is, did anyone really believe it was about the dog? Sweet, wonderful no. you. You make me happy with the things you do. He was a really good dog. Can it be so? The feeling follows me whenever I, whenever I go. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good dog. <laughs> I mean, let's move swiftly on from that. Um, I really like the guitar solo. It's fine. It's not Christine McVie's best song on this album. No, um, no, it's not. It's less poppy than the songs that Lindsay Buckingham was more involved with. But yeah, I don't love it. Okay, fair enough. So next one is I Don't Want to Know. Um, this was Nick's, but it was Nick's before Fleetwood Mac, to be fair. Oh, okay. So it was it was written um, as a Buckingham Nick's duo song. But it was used instead of Silver Springs. So this is the song that replaced Silver Springs because Silver Springs was too long. And and it's not as good as Silver Springs in my book. It's but not, but it is better than Dreams. Okay, well, that's fine. Moving on from your <laughs> hatred of Dreams. It has a country flavour, but then, you know, I like that, to be fair. This has got some of the, I think, the best duet with them both. They've got some beautiful harmonies. This is Nick's and Buckingham when their voices just beautifully melded together. It's almost like Everly Brothers or something. It's just the way they uh, Yeah, I think that's a very good comparison, actually. Yeah, it's just the way they sing together. It's beautiful. The guitar is gorgeous. You know, that kind of acoustic guitar. It's really raw. You can hear his fingers slide in the opening. Yeah. I always have that. And I love it when you play and I and I hear you, you know, that. Really cool. I like that. When you yeah. can hear fingers moving across the yeah. fretboard. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, I, I like this song. I like this song. It works. So I just want to read a quote from Stevie Nicks around uh, the inclusion of this ahead of Silver Springs. So this is from an interview with BBC Radio in 1991. She said, I said, well, I'm not going to sing I Don't Want to Know. I'm one-fifth of this band. And they said, well, if you don't like it, you can, you can either A, take a hike, or B, go out there and sing I Don't Want to Know, or you're only going to have two songs on the record. And so basically, with a gun to my head, I went out and sang I Don't Want to Know, and they put Silver Springs on the back of the Go Your Own Way single. Pretty much. But then she also did say, I was gutted, but I love this song, so if... You know, I had to have the gun to my head. This is a great song. And I, and, and I wanted to have more than two songwriting credits. And that's fair, because she was a cracking songwriter. Uh, it's fine. It's better than Dreams. Oh, Jesus. It's not as good as her first song on this album, which okay. we'll come to in a bit. Yeah, okay. Well, can we can we mention Silver Springs now? Is this a Go good on, time? Okay, I know it's not on the album, but well, I'm Silver Springs go is, is undoubtedly the best Stevie Nicks song that was recorded in these sessions. I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, well, I love it. Obviously, there's an exclusion of the album, but that was purely about the the timing of it, um, and it nearly led to the breakup of the band. She she talked about it and its exclusion like it was a child almost. She was like, you know, she lamented it for many many years. And years later, the band went on to a tour to promote an album, and Stevie actually left after that tour because. Mick Fleetwood wouldn't allow her to release Silver Springs on the Best of album. She wanted to release it on her Best of, and he wanted to release it on his um, his plans to release it on the 1992 box set. Mm-hmm. And they, they, yeah, again, it just nearly they nearly fell out over it. So, well, they did fall out over. <laughs> well, it. Well, they did fall out of it, but it nearly ended the band twice. This is the problem with having three brilliant songwriters. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean. It, you look at the Beatles, it's the same thing. You've got yeah, three great too much songwriters, talent. two of whom have a lot of power in the group, and 
someone's always going to be disappointed. Yeah. When they're, as you said, she thought of it like a child, when their baby gets uh, called ugly by the other members of the band. Yeah. And, and do you know what? She was right. This is a great song. It's beautiful. It's tender, but it's vengeful. I mean, this is Stevie being vengeful, to be fair, whereas Dreams, I mean, you may hate it, but... It, I, I, it's different. I do hate it. It's you know, but this is her being vengeful. It's got a definite sharper edge. This this is quite a pointed song, and I like it. I wish it had been on the original album actually, because I think it would have been a good counterbalance for dreams. But it wasn't. So let's move on. Oh, shut up. Oh, daddy. I don't like this. I'm oh, sorry. I really do like this. No, right, right. This this is okay. I know they call Mick Fleet. Sorry, I know they call Mick Fleet with Daddy, and and it's Christy writing about well, apparently about him, but also probably about the lighting guy again. Yeah, it's not about the dog. Yeah, it's definitely not about the wife. But um, I don't like it. I think possibly with a forty-year hindsight, I don't like saying "Oh, Daddy." I don't like the way she goes on like, "Oh, you're so amazing," and I'm so rubbish. It just really grates on me. I love her voice. I love her vocal. I just hate the lyrics. I just hate this whole why are you so amazing and I'm not and yeah I want to love it I just need to move away from the oh daddy bit I think Christine McVie's voice in this is beguiling yeah beautiful it's stunning but I I think the whole arrangement of the song is so subtle as to elevate her voice to the forefront Mm. and yet the arrangement itself it's really beautiful. It is, but I still skip it because I don't like listening to this whole, oh, daddy, why? What? I just, the lyrics really upset me. Okay. And and I think maybe with this whole. I can see what, I can, I can. You, 2022. Exactly. Looking oh, at daddy this for the 21st century. Yeah. Makes I, my skin crawl. And I love her voice and I really don't want it to because I love her voice so much. But I can't listen to it. Think of the time this is being written. She's she's breaking up from her husband, so she's got. She, inevitably, everyone involved will have low self esteem. Sisters are doing it for themselves, and she's writing it. Say. She's writing it about her new love, who is the lighting guy. Her, she will see as this uh, at this point as her savior, if you like. To yeah, take but it her. shouldn't be her savior. You know, sisters, come on. You know, I ah, I don't know. No, okay, okay. I it's it. I love her. I, her beautiful voice. She's got a beautiful voice, but it's, no. It is one thing Kevin and I often say is it, it would be good to get a, a female perspective, a feminine perspective on well, I'm bringing what we're it. doing. So, so that is an angle I hadn't previously considered. Uh, and I, can, I sound really condescending here, and I'm not trying to be, because uh, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective at all. Oh, God, no. It just I, shouts I, I, at I me. Absolutely. See, we, uh, yeah, okay. And I. I, I, I I get that, and and you're absolutely right. But I like this song a lot. No, I, I the lyrics I cannot get away from, okay. and I just get really quite cross, and I'm just like, get a grip, no, and I, I do, I get quite angry with it bizarrely. But, okay, um, fair enough. I, nah, that's I, all I can say. I I didn't get that, but I'm Ooh, a man, so yeah, what you know. I, it's not as good as Songbird. No, it's it, not. But it's better than You Make Love in Fun. Yeah, okay, I'm okay with that. I, I can see where you can be purely musically. Yes. Shall we move on to the closer? Oh, I love this song. 
I mean, it's easily Stevie Nicks' best song on this well, album. Well, this is like essential Stevie. I'm surprised you like it because this is like White Witch and, you know, mega overdrive. I think the arrangement's great. Oh, it is great. I think great. the use of the flange effect on the guitars well, is really good. I think that <sighs> that absolutely, again, as I said about the arrangement on Songbird, the arrangement on this elevates Stevie Nicks' voice to the forefront. And again, well, you've got the, the choral harmonies that just sound brilliant. So... You've got Mick Fleetwood smashing glasses, right? He, mm-hmm. he literally is smashing panes of glass around. This is apparently the eighth take at four in the morning. At this point, we've gone from a full lit studio to Stevie on a chair with a bottle of water, uh, no light on, and a box of tissues, some lozenges because her throat's sore, and they make a singer over and over again. It's raw. I mean, this the, her, you can hear. Raw the, is right. Yeah, she needs the lozenges because her <laughs> voice is like scraping at this point. Yeah, they broke her, and that ethereal sound that she brings. You know, they've got these weird instruments going on, like this. I don't even know what this is. The electric harper scored with with a jet phaser. I have no idea what that does, but basically. They were saying this just makes this like weird sort of sound and it enhanced it. He was saying the evil sound of it all. But this this to me is just distilled Stevie Nicks. It's the White Witch, but like gone 12 fold. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. I love it. So yeah, it's really good. Apparently, the, the Goldust woman comes from Goldust Lane in Arizona where she spent loads of time as a kid. But okay. it's, it's also a metaphor for cocaine, obviously. Yes. She became addicted to. So I've got a couple of quotes. So the first from Stevie Nicks herself from October 1997 in Spin magazine. She said, Goldust Woman was really my symbolic look about somebody going through a bad relationship and doing a lot of drugs and trying to just make it, trying to live, trying to get through it to the next thing. Uh, Mick Fleetwood in an article in Goldmine magazine, he talked about the recording process and he said, she did her first take of Goldust Woman in a fully lit studio and as take followed take, she began withdrawing into herself. So we dimmed the lights, brought her a chair, a supply of tissues, a Vicks inhaler, a box of lozenges, as you'd said, for her sore throat, and a bottle of mineral water, again, as you'd said. On the eighth take at four in the morning, she sang the lyrics straight through to perfection, which, you know, is just what you talked about there. And, and yeah, you can hear it. You can hear that it's raw in 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 an emotional way and in a physical way. It, mm. it, it's It's really powerful. And this is the songwriter that Stevie Nicks is. And I just think the other two efforts on this album that she wrote don't come anywhere near as close as this. Or Silver Springs, as you said, which is which is a really good song. Um, I think this is a great way to... Well, is it a great way to close the album? Because I had a point that I was going to make and when, I went through, when we went through the chain. I think you could swap around... Not necessarily this and The Chain. I think The Chain should probably end this album with this coming before. I think, I I don't know which order you put everything in, but I think The Chain is a really natural closer. So you just put The Chain at the end and when they close their sessions now, when they do stadium tours or whatever, they usually close The Chain because it's so anthemic. Yeah, but it opens up side two. Yeah, and the, that's great. This is, this is a, well, well. I love this song. I love this song too. I think it's really good. The, I think this album has issues with track listing. Yes, I do actually see what you mean, to be th- fair, because it, it sort of goes up and down and then you stick Songbird in the middle of it and I'm like, well, 
I don't really get that. All of the classics are done by the first track on side two. There's plenty of good stuff to listen to in the remainder of the album, but pace yourselves better. Mm. No, I, I can see what you're saying. I think I think it would be better done differently, but then Gold Dust Woman is lovely. It's bitter, it's raw, and it's it's very personal to Stevie Nicks. It's not just about her breaking up with Indy Buckingham. I think it's just it's about her, actually. Okay. With that, do you have any reviews you want to talk about? No, because actually it was a commercial success from the moment it hit ground running and it was a very much a critical success. Mm-hmm. It literally has won 10 out of 10 or 5 out of 5 or whatever. I, I don't think it needs it. I think it speaks to... Yeah, but that's the, this is the format of Yeah, the I don't give a monkey's. <laughs> it speaks to the common man. You're saying it speaks for itself. I think it does. Yeah, but it, whilst that may be the case, I'm still going to read some reviews. Of course you are, because you're you, <laughs> you pedant. <laughs> okay, so, John Swenson, writing in Rolling Stone. I've heard of Rolling Stone. He said, despite the interminable delay in finishing the record, rumours proves that the success of the previous album, the self-titled Fleetwood Mac, the second album good that album. they had released being self-titled, because their debut was also yes, self-titled. but that was a good album. It had Rihanna Proves the success of Fleetwood Mac was no fluke. John Rockwell in New York Times said that, that the album was a delightful disc and one hopes the public thinks so too. They very much did, John. Yeah, 40-odd million copies later. Robert Hilburn, he was not quite as keen as everyone else. He said it was a frustratingly uneven record in his review for the LA Times. Nobby Chris Gow, uh, he said... Why is this easy listening rock different from all other lis- easy listening rock? Give or take an ancient harmony or two. Because myths of love lost and found are less invidious, at least in rock and roll, Good than word. myths of the road. Because the cute voiced woman writes and sings the tough lyrics and the husky voiced woman the vulnerable ones. Because they've got three melodist vocalists on the job. Because Mick Fleetwood and John McVie learned their rhythm licks playing blues. Because they stick to this beguiling formula when it barely broke even. Because this album is both more consistent and more eccentric than its blockbuster predecessor. Plus it jumps right out of the speakers at you. Because Otis Spann must be happy for them. Because Peter Green is in heaven. Fuck off. Well, there's a lot of words there, but some, just of say those, I like it. some of those I did agree with. Okay, just a couple of quick things on legacy of the album. I mean, massive, because we've already said it's on 40 million copies. Mick Fleetwood himself called it the most important album that Fleetwood Mac ever made because it allowed them to carry on recording for the next several years. It, obviously, it's been placed in numerous lists of the best albums of all time, which we talked about earlier on. Uh, Apparently, in 1998, an album called Legacy, a tribute to Fleetwood Mac's rumours, was released. That was produced by Mick Fleetwood. That had the cause on it. That did have the cause on it. It And Jewel. And Jewel and And the Goo Goo Dolls. And the Cranberries, Elton John. And Matchbox 20. I mean, no, thanks. (laughs) Massive, really. One of the biggest selling albums of all time. I think behind only Thriller and ACDC's Back in Black in terms of the biggest selling albums of all time. So you're talking a bigger seller than anything the Beatles ever released, anything Led Zeppelin ever released, everything the Stones ever released, which is testament to the album's success. And let's not ignore the vision of 
Lindsay Buckingham, who wanted to combine the emotional depth of the songs with a really accessible sound that was going to, let's be honest, sell them a few million copies. Fair play to him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's an absolute crucial part of this commercial success. And what Buckingham really brought to this album, this was, this was Buckingham's album in my book, mm-hmm. because he, he started to become that sort of Sengali of control and stuff. But he's a cracking musician yes. and he understands music. He may not be classically trained like Christine McVie, but he's a true, he's a, like you actually, he's self-taught, he's really, really good. He gets it, he gets the success of it and he's accessible. This is a great album because it's so fun and it's accessible to everybody because you know what? Most people will go through a breakup in their lives. Most people will have pain and anger and all the rest of it. And that's what makes this brilliant. The dark side, are they? It's the dark side, are they? But in a really radio-friendly pop (laughs) version, we can all just sing along with our pain. I know that sounds trite, but it's true. Okay, with that, what is your best song? What is your worst song? Oh, gosh, that's really hard. Um, Because I want to say the worst song is Big Daddy, and it's not the worst song because I adore her voice. You mean Oh Daddy. Oh, if it was called Big Daddy, that'd be a lot more well, problematic. <laughs> I, can, I feel some rap coming on here. Like, but, um, yeah, sorry. But yeah, Oh Daddy, I think for me, because I don't know, it makes my skin crawl a little bit. Um, okay. Even though I love her voice. And it's just the song that I will skip. Best song's got to be The Chain. It's freaking great. I mean, you can't you can't not love that song. I just want to drive to it. It's it's on every playlist I have ever because I just love it too much. It's it's really fun. And my kids adore it because they are so used to listening to it. Yeah, I know. It's a great song. Okay, so I'll do best song first because I agree it is The Chain. I'd love to say Songbird because it's magnificent. I also think that You Can Go Your Own Way is a brilliant, brilliant song. But The Chain, for the reasons that you said earlier, it is all five of them in unison throughout the song. Lyrically, musically, it's great. So The Chain is easily the best song on this album. And the worst song, well, it's obviously Dreams, because I fucking hate it. (sighs) (sighs) That's all I have to say. (laughs) All right, should we go to scoring? I'm not very good at this scoring. Okay, well, let's let's we you need we need to do it nonetheless. I don't know if we do. Okay, so I will go first with my score for Blood on the Tracks, and then you go first with your score. Well, so yeah, I'll go first with my score for Bob Dylan. Okay. I think it possibly is Dylan's best album. It's certainly up there with Blonde on Blonde. It's visceral. It's angry. It's mournful. It's a lament. It, I can use all of these words. It's it's brilliant. You've got songs on there like A Simple Twist of Fate or Shelter from the Storm, which are beautifully sung, simplistically arranged, and lyrically stunning, incredible. You've got songs on there like Idiot Win, which is just righteous anger all the way through. I know you didn't like it so much. And then you've got something like uh, Meet Me in the Morning, which is just a great blues standard with some phenomenal musicianship in it. And you've got phenomenal you've got phenomenal musicianship throughout the album. I, I'm rambling as I often do, because I'm thinking of what score I'm going to give it. 
I'm going to give Blood on the Tracks a 9 out of 10. I think it is an absolutely brilliant album. And yeah, probably my favourite Dylan album as it happens. So that's me, 9 out of 10. How about you? So I'm going to, you know, not ramble like you do. So 9 out of 10 also. In fact, I don't really know how you could improve on it because lyrically it's wonderful it's 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 up there with Tennyson oh it is poetry for me it's poetry it's got everything I look for in a poet the internal rhyme structures the construction of each sentence the the, just the way he constructs the song and then you add in the musicality and the chord structures it blows my mind And and his vocals are good I don't know who these people are that think he can't sing because he bloody can. Yeah, he really can. He, he's it's visceral, it's beautiful. He screams at times. He literally screams. He howls with pain. Uh, it plays. It, it really is. It's my favorite album that I've heard of his. I think it's a beautiful, haunting, hellish piece of music to listen to. Um. It's also got that narrative of um, that one song that, I, you know, it's complete, kind of really randomly different because, mm. Lily yeah, Rose Lily the, Rose and, Hearts, and yeah. Jack Hearts and yeah. stuff, it just comes out kind of nowhere. It's a bit different, but it's brilliant. It's the best narrative song that I've ever heard, literally, mm-hmm. bar none. I, d- I don't know how you could improve on this album. I really don't. I mean, yes, okay, I may not like one of the songs particularly. Well, so but, give it a 10 then. Well... <laughs> I'm a, I'm not very good at giving tens. I always <laughs> want to give like a nine point five. It's the teacher in me. Give I'm it nine gonna, and a half if you want to well, Okay, I'm going to give it like a nine point five. Okay, because yeah, it's bloody good. So, having said you're not going to ramble, like I did me, ramble. you very much did. But okay, yeah, uh, did. so nine and a half. So, uh, blood on the tracks gets eighteen and a half. I mean, that is some score to beat. Well, to be fair, it's that bloody is, good. It is bloody good. Some score to beat. Uh, so rumors. Then I will. Uh, will you go first. What are you going to give rumors? Well, I'm I'm really crap actually because I'm just sitting on a fence here. But then I look at Rolling Stone, who gave this a five out of five, and then he gave Blood on the Tracks five out of five. So I'm like, you know, we're in fairly good territory here. Again, I just I I don't know how you could improve on this. You've got three phenomenal songwriters, five phenomenal musicians. It's visceral. The lyrics are beautiful. There's some amazing examples of each one of those people doing what they do best so you know you've got some amazing drumming you've got some amazing guitar work you've got acoustics you've got electric you've got layers on layers of vocals harmonies gorgeous to be fair and it sold sort of 40 odd million copies i mean i think that sort of sort of speaks for itself really it's accessible and it speaks for everybody so Am I allowed to give it nine and a half as well? If you want to, I don't. I don't know what a ten album looks for me. I don't don't know what ten out of ten looks for me. Okay, I, I really don't. But these two albums are as close as I'm ever going to get. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, on offense. Nine and a half. Mm. All right. Okay. So it's on me then to decide if we have a winner or if we have a draw. Um. Well, we're not going to have a draw. I'll tell you that for free. But which way am I going to go? Am I going to give Rumours a 10 out of 10? I think it's brilliant, as you just said, the way it combines 
the raw emotion that we spoke about on Blood on the Tracks with accessible, poppy musicality and, and, and melodies and harmonies is phenomenal. I think it has some phenomenal songs on there written by all of the contributors. So the chain is literally written by all of them. You've got Songbird, a great, great Christine McVie song. You've got Gold Dust Woman, which is Stevie Nicks at her best. And you've got something like Go Your Own Way, which is Lindsay Buckingham just pouring out his heart, but in a way that, again, it's just a great rock song. So you've got all that. There are issues with track ordering. I think it's very heavily weighted to the first half of the album, and that is an issue for me. Call me pedantic, but I don't care. It is an issue for me. I hate dreams. I hate it. So I can't give it 10 out of 10. I can't give it 9.5 out of 10. (sighs) Just give it 9 out of 10, and then we can just call it a draw. No, because I don't think it's as good as Blood on the Tracks. It's not as good as Blood on the Tracks. Mm, I think it is. Well, obviously, because you gave them both the same. I'm going to give it 8 out of 10. That's harsh. And it gets a very respectable 17 and a half. I think like 50 million people are, are, are kind of going, no. I mean, you've just added 10 million sales onto them, no, which well, I'm sure to be fair, will be delighted the, about. The 40 million was in 2017. <laughs> so. You're going to sell 10 million copies in the last five years. Yeah, oh, no, in 2017. I mean, it, it sold 10 million copies in the first month. I think, um, you know. I know, eight out of 10. It's a really, really good album, but it's not without problems. And it's not as good as on the tracks. Uh, and it's got dreams on it, which I hate. So, no, it's going to get 8 out of 10. And so, Bob Dylan with Blood on the Tracks is the winner of this special bonus album clash. Get in. <laughs> you look genuinely, genuinely disconsolate there. No, I just think you're wrong. <laughs> dreams is not that bad. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of our bonus pod. It's been a long one. But, yeah, there we go. As I said, Kev and I will be back very soon. In fact... Kev and I have a recording planned uh, in the next week or so. Uh, we'll tell you what else that's all going to be about. But we are basically coming back very soon. We hope you've enjoyed the bonus pod. Sorry you've been away for a while. Just very quickly before we go, uh, how can you keep in touch with us on social media? So this is the bit Kev always gets to do, but I get to do it tonight. So you may be on Twitter. And given that in the UK it's been a very hot week in terms of our weather, you may have noted that the word chemtrails has been trending on Twitter. Now, you may be a moron and you may believe that you are being poisoned by the government in a very, very inefficient way. I don't know. That's up to you. Anyway, whilst you are on Twitter looking up conspiracy theories about chemtrails, you could also check out our Twitter page at Clash Album. If you like carefully curated quality content, you can check out our Insta, at Clash Album. Or if you would like to send me an email, you could send that email to albumclash at gmail.com. So, as I said, we'll be back very soon, guys. Thank you very, very much for listening. Like, subscribe, all of that stuff. All that is left for me to say now, however, is that I have been Tim. And I've been Shell. And we shall see you soon. Take care. Ta-da.